This is the sound of the staff here at Focus on the Family Canada every weekday morning at 9 a.m. Petitioning God for those with crisis in their marriage, for those who want to become better parents, and those who are lifting up loved ones to the hope that one day they will know the salvation that Christ has to offer. We'd love to hear from you too. Call us today with your prayer requests at 1-800-A-FAMILY or email us at prayer at FOTF.ca. You can make it. Listen to this. God loves you. He loves your marriage. It's sacred to Him. And it all, no matter how bad it is, huh. it's sacred. And He will help you save it. Dr. David Clark joins us today on Focus on the Family. Your host is Focus President Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. Well, John, with this pandemic, uh, the last couple of months have probably challenged most of us in some way. Uh, the stay-at-home orders that many states have uh, deployed have put pressure on the family structure. I mean, marriages are both experiencing some good things, and then being around each other a lot has created some stresses. But the thing that is true is this is an opportunity to work on those relationships, particularly our marriages. Uh, Here at Focus on the Family, we care about you. We care about your marriage. And we want you to have the most rewarding, fulfilling relationship in your marriage that you can have. Why? Because it honors God, who considers marriage sacred. And for that reason, we've invited a wonderful guest to come back and kind of give us that tune-up in our marriages under these circumstances, give us some direction on uh, what we should be looking at, how do we resolve conflict, those wonderful things that will keep our marriage uh, not perfect, but in good shape. And that person is Dr. David Clark. And he's been a guest here a number of times, always uh, get a great response when he's with us. Uh, he's uh, written a number of books, and we're going to be uh, talking about some of the content and practical ideas in his book, I Don't Want a Divorce, A 90-Day Guide to Saving Your Marriage. And we have that here at FocusOnTheFamily.ca. David, it's great to have you back at Focus on the Family. Man, it's great to be here. Hey, listen, you're a counselor. You help couples return from the brink of divorce um, and recover, which is great. It's something we try to do with Hope Restored, and you've given your life as a counselor to do this. I think it's a noble cause. Uh, What are you hearing from clients right now in this environment uh, regarding their marriages? How is the pandemic impacting them? Big time and not in a good way. How? What's happening? Well, if you've already got problems in your marriage, and of course many people do, this virus, uh, the stress of it, the anxiety, the fear, the financial stress, the lack of space and boundaries, it's really causing a problem. So it's intensifying and escalating the problems that are already in the marriage. That's what I'm seeing across the country. Uh, You say there's good news about bad marriages. So let's start there. What's the good news in a struggling marriage? Well, the good news is this is almost a universal problem. Satan wants you to feel like you're alone, you're isolated, never should have gotten married, other people are happy. Not true. We all, the blonde and I have been through some hard times in our marriage. Marriage is impossible without God's help. So join the club. We're all in this together and marriage is tough. That's good news because you're not isolated. Now, the other good news is there is help for you. Organizations like Focus, which is the world leader in this area of saving marriages and families, There's all kinds of great material, books that I've written, all kinds of people helping. The resources that weren't there even 30 years ago are here now. 
and you can fix any marriage. You can fix your marriage with God's help in the right plan. Hey, let's look at some positive steps we can take uh, toward reclaiming and strengthening our marriages as we're talking about. It's always easy to blame our spouse. I mean, I think I've even fallen into that trap this over this eight weeks. There was something Jean and I were struggling over, and I tried to sort her out rather than say, okay, what, what have I done wrong in this whole thing? Uh, why is it important to take ownership for our own stuff and not kind of just point out the errors in our spouse's stuff? I mean, it sounds pretty obvious. <laughs> well, it does. Every couple I see, though, Jim, you know this, they come into my office for the first time. I get the background. I say, what's going on? And they just start throwing the rocks and bottles. Well, she, she, he, he. And I say, you know what? Okay, I get the background. Okay, that's enough. You're probably right. You live with this person and there's their issues, but you can't do anything about that. It creates this Mexican standoff. Well, it's you. No, it's you. Back and forth never ends. So the key is to own what you've done wrong before God and your spouse, maybe even your kids, and start working on that. That's something you can control. Yeah. I won't see a couple a second time unless they're going to own their stuff. I just, I'm not going to waste my time because it doesn't work. You got to come in here and own it and work on it. You know, what's interesting, David, is you don't start there. I, I think the question is, why do we fall into that trap? Why, you know, when we get married, we're goo-goo-eyed about each other and we love each other and we have a high degree of acceptance about each other and you can do no wrong. And, oh my goodness, then it's, why is the laundry never in the basket, always on the floor and the toothpaste and the toilet paper? Why am I the one changing the toilet paper all the time? I mean, how do we move from this bliss to this irritation and then not, figure out how to pull up out of that. Now, I think it's just human nature. Most of us grew up in homes where we did not get the right training, didn't see a great marriage, don't know what we're doing. So we fall in love and right, everything's perfect. But then life has a way of taking over. Personality differences, male-female differences. I don't know how to communicate. Nobody ever taught me how to resolve a conflict. Kids come along, stresses. And so things just naturally break down. And because we're selfish, even if we know Jesus, I'm going to look at you. I can look at Sandy and say, that bothers me, that bothers me, that bothers me. And she does the same thing with me. So it just starts cranking down. And then we don't know what to do about it. No one's ever taught us how to fix anything in a marriage relationship. So that's when we need to get some help. No, that, and that's good. That's why we are here. That's what you've committed your life to. So remember, you can contact us here at Focus on the Family, and John's going to give those details in a few minutes. Uh, David, um, I love your idea of couple talk time. And in fact, when I was reading the prep early this morning, which is my kind of way I do it, I get up at six, I put on coffee, I read the prep. Gene sat next to me, we read and prayed together. And then, you know, I had her read some of the prep and she really resonated with this idea of couple talk time. Of course, to me as the husband, I was going, oh no, this is exhausting. <laughs> but discuss couple talk time and what you're getting at and why Gene just lit up with it. Oh, women love this. Women love me, men hate me. This is my <laughs> career. I wasn't going to tell you that, but okay, I'll take that. <laughs> no. So you're just one more. You and John, sure. The truth is the guys end up loving me because if the woman's happy, they're happy. But also, they through the couple talk time, they start getting their emotional needs met, their spiritual needs met. And the good news for the man is if you will connect with her emotionally and listen and share and open up and, and you spiritually connect through prayer, conversation spiritually, that's going to flow. That prepares you for the physical intimacy. She's going to be open to it. 
Yes. She might not throw herself into your arm, but she is going to be ready, and that's so it all fits together. But you got to have the quality time to get. There. Well, and in your couple talk time, you suggest t- it's thirty minutes, ten minutes of venting stress and anxiety, ten minutes to talk about other topics, and then ten minutes to build a spiritual connection with each other. Uh, prayer can be included in there, etc. I, as Jean and I were talking about this this morning, a thing I expressed to her was the transition between the first 10 minutes and the second. I mean, here you are venting stress and anxiety, and then all of a sudden you stop and you say, okay, let's move to other topics. It felt very mechanical. I don't know that I could do that that easily, like shut down the venting and, and, you know, and move to other topics of the day. How's the weather? Yeah, it's a little tricky. You'll get used to it because what really happens psychologically when you blow your stress out, and frankly, your spouse is the only one that really cares enough to listen every day or four times a week to your stresses. Nobody else really cares. You wouldn't have any friends. What does that sound like with you and the blonde? (laughs) Well, it could be. Now, I've been slower at the office. I'm doing some writing projects. So there's some, you know, we have a cushion now financially, but there's some financial pressure. Um, If I've got, uh, we just lost my mom end of last week, which was really tough. Yeah. Not unexpected, but still, it's mom. Yeah. So we're helping my dad. So we're that's a stress now on us, even though we love him to death. We have him here in our home. He's a wonderful, godly man, but grieving like you wouldn't believe. So that's something that we're talking about now. I've got to get that out of my system. I can't share that with anybody else. My best friend, Bob, to a degree, but really, it's really more about, you know, Sandy. She'll listen. She'll listen every time I talk. And she lost her dad, in fact, last year. So she's been through it. So we're talking, sharing. So that's that would be that first part. Just kind of, but once we blow that stress out, and it could be anything. It could be, it's not conflict between the two of us, because that's off limits in the couple talk time. It's all positive. But if I'm stressed or anxious, I've had a difficult client at the office, I got a nasty email from a man that hated me, <laughs> this happens. Okay, I can share that with Sandy, not with any identifiers, but I can share that. And then once it's out of my system, then you can transition into the, the second 10. Now, yeah. the fact of the matter is women, I think, are better at this than men only because they're just used to sharing more than us. So the second 10, very often the blonde, Sandy, will start talking about other topics. Right. And I kind of warm up by listening and reflecting and then I can get into my own stuff. Well, and I was going to mention there must be right and wrong ways in doing this. So describe some of those. And I think, you know, women are just so well connected in their brain chemistry that they don't struggle with it. I think they struggle with the fact that men struggle with this because it comes so naturally to them. They can't understand. How can you not sit and talk with me? But give us some hints, maybe, you know, between men and women, what are the right things to do and the wrong things to do in your couple talk time of 30 minutes, four times a week? Well, the key is the wrong ways for the woman, for example, to schedule it and initiate it. That is not her job. She's not the leader. <laughs> that still that's resonates with me already. <laughs> yeah, see? Let, let the, that, it starts off like with, with a thud because you're not leading me. Oh, I forgot about our talk time. So the man schedule the four times the weekend before the week, and then it's your job to invite her in. Women love to be invited. They won't forget the time. They forget nothing. They're like elephants. Nothing is forgotten. I'm already feeling guilty about being too lazy to do that. Thank you. But that's a good idea. It is. See, leadership from the start, the woman loves that. When I say to the blonde, it's time for our couple talk time. She has never once in 33 years said, oh, I forgot. Well, of course, she knows. But she smiles and says, thank you, because I'm inviting her in. That's leadership. Wow, that's good. All right. So that's a good one. Also important, you kind of touched on this, Jim. Uh, 
men often don't like to talk about stresses and anxiety, so that first 10 can be tough for them, but it's vitally important. The woman, not just listening to her talk, the man will make the mistake of, honey, I leave work at work. Let's leave that stuff alone. Let's just talk about nice things. That's not a good idea. You got to get the stress out first. Mm. So you listen, you reflect, and then she needs to hear from you too. You've got your own stresses. Blow that out. Also, as the woman, and I covered this uh, in my focus on the family book, Men Are Clams or Inner Crowbars, don't, the woman doesn't need to be the crowbar and pressure and ask questions and, and pin the guy to the wall. Oh, bad idea. That's the crowbar. He's going to clam up every time. So we don't do that either. Give the man some time and space to process. That's why we have, one of the reasons we have four couple talk times is in your first talk time, let's say it's tonight of the week, the woman's going to talk and he, he'll share a little bit. He'll listen, reflect, but he's not going to share anything personal because he, he's not ready yet. But if he, you let him process, the next talk time, he can have a response. Men have to ride the train. They have to process and then they'll get back to you. Um, let's move to what both men and women need. You say that men need praise from their wives and women need romance from their husbands. I think we get that, but make sure we fill in the blanks here. What does it really mean? Well, the, a man's number one need is respect. Men usually think, and women do too, that it's another area. Not true. It's respect. To feel like you're something special, that, that she's impressed with who you are as a man. And that you can't get there without praise. Men have a desperate need for praise. And not from anybody else. I don't care who else praises me. I got to get it from the blonde. I write a book. I do a seminar. She's in the audience in the front row. She's heard it all before. She's probably sleeping, but she's, he's listening. <laughs> when she says to me, Dave, that was great. I, I felt God with us and I felt like it was really helping. Oh, that me. I can run on that for two days. And most ladies, God love them. They're lousy at praising. So if you will just stoke a man with, and you don't lie, it's all, it's physical attributes. The guy wants to know that he's still got it. You're in the bedroom. And he takes off his shirt. You could say, "Hey, look at those guns." Did that kill you to say that? <laughs> Sorry, I'm and the just guys laughing from, there. Do I, I think I still have it. Yes, you do. It's like fantastic. So physical attributes. It could be character traits. It could be personality. It could be something he's done for you. Spiritual things. If you, it's at least once or twice a day. You drop a compliment on him. He'll feel respected. It will help him open up to you as well. Huh, interesting. So it works both ways. That emotional intimacy that she is seeking, when she does the complimenting, he'll provide that. He'll open his heart up. That's really insightful. I've not heard that so clearly before. Okay, what about the other direction uh, for the romance side? For those of us that said, hey, we got married. I showed you I loved you at the altar. That's not the romance you're talking about, right? No. Women need to be romanced and pursued throughout their lives. My dad was a master at this. Huh. They were very close, 64 years together. He loved her every day in very passionate ways and very romantic, but great model for me. I try to do the same thing with the blonde. So it is a number of different things. Verbal romance is very important to describe her beauty, her physical beauty, and to be very specific. It's your eyes. It's your neck. There are passages in the Song of Solomon that are that are very sensual, but they're very real. And, and where Solomon is just praising Shulamith, his wife, in these specific ways. You don't just say, honey, you're beautiful. That's too general. Honey, you're beautiful. And here's why. You have to add that women always love the details. 
I, I joke about Sandy being a blonde. I, I love her hair. She's got the most beautiful, bushy head of hair you could ever imagine. It's kind of wild. It's getting wilder as she gets older. And I love it. It's like, her. it can't be controlled. Anyway, I, I, I love your hair. So this is like a verbal romance the other way. And also holding something as simple as holding hands. That's what sweethearts do. We love walking on the beach and we can finally get back to the beach here in Florida. Just walk down the beach holding hands. If you're a couple, married or unmarried, and you're, you're dating or a romantic married and you're on the beach not holding hands, just get off the beach. That's not what the beach is for. You're wasting beach space. You hold hands. Hold hands to the car. Or how about getting the car door? You don't let your woman walk up to the her side of the door and open it herself. She can do it. She's fully capable. It's just romantic. It's small, but it's a romantic thing. Yeah, that's good. Those are good reminders. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Often in advertising, you'll hear terms like no obligation. But what does that mean? Hi, I'm Danny Deeks, and at Deeks Insurance, no obligation means we'd be happy to go over your insurance coverage and talk about your needs and options with no pressure to buy. And you could benefit either from potential savings on premiums or by getting a better understanding of your policy. Give us a call today at 1-800-240-5283 or visit us on the web at deeksinsurance.ca. Hi, this is Jim Daly. Is your family feeling tired, restless, even stressed out? Well, you're not alone. These are tough times. And that's why we at Focus on the Family have created something new and helpful for you and your loved ones. It's called Focus at Home a free on-demand streaming service featuring the faith-filled content from Focus on the Family that you know and trust. With Focus at Home, it's like you're getting access to our content vault. Explore old favorites like Adventures in Odyssey or Radio Theater. Discover new interactive children's stories. And we'll have a few surprises for you along the way. There's something fun for every member of the family. And we'll keep adding fresh titles so you can check in every day. Best of all, it's 100% biblically based. Sign up now and get total access to our best content for families during this challenging season. Visit FocusOnTheFamily.ca FocusOnTheFamily.ca Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. David, one of the concepts you describe in your book, I Don't Want a Divorce, is this idea of positivity. You know, I, I was reading that earlier this morning, and I'm thinking to myself, that often comes across as so, I don't know, outside of the Christian realm. Positivity is is like a dirty word. And I know you well enough to know what you mean by this, but I want you to describe it for the listeners. Because Christians, man, of all people, we should be positive people, right? Absolutely. It was so much to be thankful for. But when a marriage is going downhill and Satan pushes us, of course, as much as he can, everything turns negative. All the positive is sucked out, gone, because I don't love you. I don't feel good about you. I'm angry with you. You hurt me. And so everything is negative. And so that now you're really in trouble. So when I see a couple, and we've got some hard work to do on their issues, of course, but I can't do that unless there's some positivity flowing into their marriage, and I will force it in. Speaking of holding hands, I have a couple that hate each other's guts. They're at the brink of divorce. That's why they're in my office. I'll say, look, we have to start with some positivity. I'll give them some things going out the door. I say, look, I can from my window here, I can see uh, the back door all the way to your car. 
They say, well, who cares? I said, I'll be standing at the window. And when you leave my office, I want to see you holding hands on the way to your car. First session. They think I'm out of my mind. I say, I'm not kidding. <laughs> and for the first 10 feet, it's like Frankenstein and his bride. They're so awkward. I can't, my hand, I, I just, oh. but here's what happens. <laughs> Once they know what they're doing, it's like riding a bike. When if they'll hold hands after a few feet, it starts to look natural and there's a better vibe. That's so small. And I'll say, look, holding mm. hands isn't going to save. This isn't holding hands therapy. You've got hard work to do next two or three months, but we got to start somewhere. And I want you to go home and I want you to start communicating only on a positive level. And I want you to start complimenting each other at least once a day. I don't want to, you can think of a thousand negatives. I don't want to hear any of them. Think of something positive and squeak it out of your mouth. Because in God's plan, God's a master at this. We see it in the Song of Songs. When you compliment your spouse, okay, they're impacted, but so are you. It comes out of your mouth verbally. Huh. You are drawn to them. God knows exactly what he's doing. So it's a two-way street. And it will. I'll say, look, you spend a few weeks at this, it will start to work. Now we have a positive flow, communication, going out on a date, only positive. We'll save the conflicts for my office. And it starts to work, and that allows huh. them to actually address their issues. Yeah, no, it's so right on. Um, I'm thinking, I know in Florida, you're opening up a bit more, perhaps a bit more than other places around the country. Here in Colorado, we're still kind of safer at home, I think is the term. And in these environments where many are still working from home, et cetera, you know, tension's kind of lurking just under the surface. Um, what is, and I, you may have just answered this by being positive with your spouse, but what's a way that we can nip that conflict in the bud, so to speak, as we're around each other together, debating how you make a, a sandwich, <laughs> whatever it might be. But what are some ways, some little things we can do to pull the conflict down and not get into that hamster wheel? Yeah, good question, Jim. I would say this, you embrace it. At first, you expect it to happen. I tell my couples now, you're going to get your edgier. Things are going to bother you. Your tolerance is way down for the dumbest little things. So expect it to happen. But when it happens, just stop it. Just you're not going to go there. This, these are conversations not worth having. Yeah. You know, I left that dish in there. It's been two days. What's the matter with you? Well, who cares? That's small. Or with the kids and the pressures, you don't. You just, okay, you acknowledge, okay, we're doing it. It's the virus. Just say it's the virus and stop it. That's one thing that will help. And then, this sounds crazy, but right after the interaction that wasn't so good, you're moving on, puts, you have to have some positivity. A little kiss would be good, maybe a hug. I'm sorry, I'm edgy, it's the virus, whatever. And then you want to do something positive, even something small, a cup of coffee together, take a break from those kids who are driving you nuts, whatever. So the positivity remains very important. You have to have a flow because it's like bone on bone these days when you're stuck at home. So those are some ideas that'll help. Embrace yeah. it, stop it. Hey, let me uh, end on a serious question, which is, um, you know, some marriages are in desperate trouble, and their conflict is their Goliath. I mean, they're this is the thing they're consuming all day long is the fact that they feel like it's over, and then they're ruminating on the consequences of that. Some couples are in that place. Uh, we deal with that at Hope Restored. Um, you're speaking to some right now on the broadcast. Um, what would you say to them when they're in that kind of desperate moment? It's right before they call you to schedule that first counseling call. And what can you say to them to give them some hope that it can be different? I tell what I tell every single couple I see, Jim, whether it's on the phone call from across the country, in my office, at a seminar, I say, you 
can make it. Listen to this. God loves you. He loves your marriage. It's sacred to him. And it all, no matter how bad it is, huh. it's sacred. And he will help you save it. And with the right plan and, and God's help, who will always help, you will make it. I have, I'm unequivocal about that. It's not, well, this is a tough one. I'm not sure you can make it. You'll never hear that from my lips because God wouldn't say that. He'd say, look, I, I'm a God. I'll say to couples, do you believe God can do anything? Well, they have to say yes if they're Christians. I say, well, then is your marriage outside of his realm? Of course not. And he loves it. It's important to him. So you're going to make it. You've got to believe that you will make it through and you'll have a marriage better than you ever had before the problems. That's what God can do. You know, in that context, David, it it does often um, puzzle me that there seems to be such a pattern to marital breakdown. And again, that's one of the things we try to equip couples with are the communication skills, the emotional skills to actually do this. Is it that simple that we're just kind of immature about how to communicate with someone so close to us? Oh, I think that's part of it. I absolutely do. We don't know what we're doing. The breakdown of the family, mom and dad didn't show this. See, and this is crazy to say, Jim, but you know this. Even if you grew up in a home where it was a wonderful marriage, mom and dad, their conversations, how they really connect, don't happen in your presence. It's behind closed doors. You don't know the specifics. So I think every couple has to learn those. And if you teach those skills, they will work. If I can keep people from just quitting and, and divorcing, they're going to make it. I'll tell them that. There's no other option. If right. You, there's no possible. It's a hundred percent chance you will make it if you just follow the plan. And I'm telling you, the research shows that if you do stick it out, you will be happier and in a better place if you can just equip yourselves with these tools to communicate better, to love each other better. You'll be more satisfied. At least I think it was the University of Chicago. Eighty-five percent after five years more satisfied doing far better than those who divorced five years later had remarried and even, you know, so there's no guarantee and everybody's situation is unique. But I love what you said, that God loves marriage. It's sacred to him. That's what we read in scripture. That's what he wants for us. And we just have to put effort into it. That's what you're saying. And David, this has been so good. Thank you for the tools and for the conversation and for your great book, I Don't Want a Divorce. And again, John's going to explain how people can get a copy of that. Thanks for being with us. Now get out to the beaches in Florida. I'm jealous. Yes. Have a great time with your bride. (laughs) And uh, someday maybe we'll get down to Florida once again. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Jim. And John, too. Thank you. Let me turn to you, the listener or the viewer. Man, I hope you're feeling it and hearing our heart for your marriage for lots of reasons, most of all because of how God honors marriage. We want to make your marriage as strong as it can be. It doesn't mean it's always perfect. I think I've confessed enough today that Gene and I struggle sometimes too. It's just normal. But we want to continue to grow, to plow the field of marriage, to make sure the right stuff is growing in our relationship together. And certainly, uh, one great thing you can do is get a copy of David's great resource, uh, I Don't Want a Divorce, A 90-Day Guide to Saving Your Marriage. And you can do that uh, at Focus on the Family Canada today. And also remember that when you order resources through Focus Canada, uh, that 
money goes right back into ministry. And we're so grateful for your help in that regard. You know, God's economy, see, he sees it all. He knows you're working hard. And when you can either order a resource or support the work of Focus Canada, hopefully on a monthly basis, even 10 or $15 makes such a difference to helping other families. So join us. Be a part of the ministry team in Canada today. Yeah, make your monthly pledge, and uh, we'd be happy to tell you more about Hope Restored as well when you call 800, the letter A in the word family, or stop by focusonthefamily.ca. Well, join us again tomorrow as we take a look at six different ways to be generous toward others. But you know what? God's not about a duty on this. We get to give. He loves us. He wants us to experience joy in giving, and it's good for us when we give. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller, inviting you back next time as we once more help you and your family thrive in Christ.